spent with her son that you've been listening to in the Blink of an Eye story. Season 2, Trauma Healing Learning 18, Hot Cocoa. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, everyone. We extended our Instagram giveaway because we received even more books to give away from the Board of Trustees at the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. So if you haven't entered yet, please do. And thank you to all of you following Blink of an Eye Pod. We are giving away Being Relational Books, Trauma Books by Thomas Ubel and Bessel van der Kolk, and many more. Again, I thank the trustees of the board for I See That. Please check out www.icthat.org. If you are following along in the companion Blink of an Eye story, you know we are doing a trilogy. Episodes 17, 18, and 19, chock full of unvarnished, unedited text messages of what was going on behind the scenes of the Family and Friends updates. Because the trilogy is full of interesting, real-time text messages that speak for themselves, I thought I would give you a short, additional angle of what it was like for me at this time in the story as we together take a look at a trauma healing learning today. Yes, where we are in the story, the Atlantic Care Hospital in New Jersey had declared that Archer was not transportable because his body was so weak and his lungs so collapsed and that there was nothing more they could do. I was looking doggedly for other options to get Archer out of there. Somehow, some way, somewhere. By the grace of the network of friends and friends of friends following the Archer blogs and the Prayers for Archer Facebook page, my high school friends in Springfield, Illinois created, the husband of a college friend had reached out to the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation, who had reached out to the administrator of Prayers for Archer page, who had reached out to me. When I received the unexpected call from Bernadette Morrow from the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation, which you can hear about in episode 15, Moving Towards the Pain, I came to find out that they had been following the Archer blogs too, and on urging from my friends, had tried to reach me through the hospital. But the hospital had told them, quote, the family was not accepting phone calls. So it was the Prayers for Archer Facebook page and the network of friends on that page who provided them with my cell phone number. Amazing. I think the network of friendship in and of itself is a component of trauma healing. Don't you? 
because we need a web of support to hold us up, especially when we are in the crisis phase and then thereafter as we recover. Well, it was from that connection with the Reeve Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Experts that I was encouraged to reach out directly to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which specialized in spinal cord injury and had an entire unit devoted to young people in their teens and 20s and early 30s. So I did. But before I did, as time was so urgent, I knew I needed the top person with authority whom I could call on a Saturday. And it was again through the Prayers for Archer Facebook page that the web of friendship, this time a number of University of Virginia College friends, responded to my request for help to reach someone in authority there. I was sent the cell phone number for Dr. Don Leslie, the chief spine doctor at the Shepherd Center. But it was Saturday. And you know all about that call from episode 17, caught in no man's land. Well, that call yielded a flurry of activity to send a medical assessor to Atlanticare to assess Archer's real condition for transport and for recovery. And Alana Shepard herself, the foundress of the Shepherd Center, also got involved. As the Shepherd Center tried to obtain Archer's medical records, with my permission, from Atlanticare Hospital, the nurse practitioner who was being flown on a plane to assess Archer the next day was told by the hospital medical records office, quote, the family is not releasing medical records, end quote, all of which doubly confounded the situation. Consent. Yes, I want to talk about consent today. It's a big word in the medical environment. Consent. Whose is it to give? And who protects whom? And what does consent mean? In the middle of all this chaos on this day in the story, our daughter, Paula, also sent me a YouTube that Archer had created before his accident when he was a freshman in high school. It's a little autobiographical story he wrote and narrated as he himself looked back on his boyhood experience with some earlier medical trauma. If you want to hear it, listen in to the companion story, episode 18, Hot Cocoa. It was about hot cocoa and Archer's views on pain and his future. It was quite prescient. Yes, as I listened to it that day, it was Archer's voice that soothed me to hear it. I heard it at a time when I wondered if I would hear his voice again. And I remember wondering if I did would I have missed his boyhood voice turning into a man? 
he had just turned 17. And he made the YouTube video when he had just turned 15 as he entered his freshman year of high school. As I created this episode for you, listening to that YouTube also made me realize another aspect of trauma healing. Voice. Voice is such a powerful instrument for expression. It's a powerful instrument for love and connection. It can be so melodic. It can bathe us with familiarity. The voice. And it can be the means for expression that furthers trauma healing. It can tell your story. You have your voice. And it is voice that we often look to hear for consent. As I feverishly made many phone calls back at Atlantic Care trying to make it possible that Archer could go to the Shepherd Center, I was determined to find an alternative option for Archer. Billy, who had not yet come back from Baltimore from the prayer vigil, kept texting me, make sure you talk with Archer. Billy, too, was keen on consent, informed consent. As mediators, we both had seen the devastating consequences of lack of informed consent for other people. While Archer was in a very precarious medical condition, we knew we needed his input even if I did hold the power as his mother, since he was a minor. That was a legal truth, and I would use it as needed. But our family's truth was that it was a family decision, and most importantly, it was Archer's decision, what the next step would be. As our world around Archer was buzzing with intense activity looking for any viable alternative for him, he slept very drugged, his body in searing, burning pain from the pleurodesis surgery with the medical team who believed he was at the end of his life. We were faced with very large decisions Would we go to the Shepherd Center or not? Was it even a viable alternative? Could we even get Archer there? Would he want to go? What about other alternatives in Baltimore, like the Maryland Shock Trauma Unit? I was also in conversations with as a holdover. Or Johns Hopkins with whom I was also in conversation as a carryover until we could get to another rehab place. If we could just get Archer out of the woods. The option I was feeling was the best was to not return to our home in Baltimore, either interimly or for recovery. It was very sobering and very intense as I made many calls in the corner of Archer's room as I watched him bedside. 
I would whisper so he could continue to rest. Yes, for me, it was never that Archer would die. Or maybe it was that I just couldn't hold that possibility in my mind. Or that I didn't think it was the path he and God had agreed upon, which I held on to. To leave our home and the place where all of Archer's friends were and his whole life was, I knew would be asking even more of Archer than was already being asked of him, which was to live and to believe what was possible. Maybe you have faced a similar situation. This decision weighed heavily on Billy's and my hearts. And time, human time, was working against us as Archer's heartbeat was very, very low and we were not able to talk with him. He may not have had much more time where we were. I shudder now just thinking about this. <laughs> it's just another way my body is still releasing the past. How often does this happen in hospitals where a medical decision has to be made and the patient is really not available? Often, I would say, especially due to the use of narcotics. Often, I would say, when the patient is elderly or mentally infirm. And often, I would say, when the patient is a child. Maybe you can think of other nuances and instances as well. Whether the patient is elderly or a very young child, their understanding is critical to consent. Even if the patient is infirm or incapacitated or has not yet reached the age of majority to legally consent, obtaining the patient's input or blessing or buy-in is critical to consent. And their understanding is even more critical to moving forward and to healing. These are moments of potential empowerment for the patient at a time when the chips might be very low, the options very scarce, or the future very scary and unknown. I am sure you can think of a number of times when this has been true for you in life or for others you know. Consent requires voice and choice. Voice can be manifested in many ways. So what is informed consent? Informed consent is your agreeing to something with reasonable knowledge of what it is or entails or the risks. I would argue that most medical consent forms that any of us sign are signed without full consent. I am not saying that is always the case, and I'm not saying that that is actually always wrong. It is part 
of what we trust in other professionals and their competence. But I'm inviting us to think today about the quality of discernment a medical facility or doctor can have with a patient and the patient's family about medical interventions and surgeries and procedures. In the world in which most hospital doctors have to operate and practice, the insurance industry and managed care has squeezed the life out of quality human interaction. This lack of quality interaction between a patient and a physician has suffocated quality decision-making. And this not only negatively impacts understanding and buy-in by a patient, it negatively impacts the patient and doctor relationship. I dare say it is perhaps the reason for many lawsuits. It certainly negatively impacts the potential for the exploration of other alternatives and healing because the dialogue for discernment never happens. There might be less use of narcotics if there were a fuller interaction on consent for surgery and aftercare interventions. There might be less use of general anesthesia for surgeries if there were a fuller discernment of other options like local anesthesia for complicated surgeries. There might even be less surgery if there were a fuller interaction on exploring alternatives other than surgery. I am not against surgery in any way. I am for quality consent and the discerning dialogue from that place of neutral that is needed to obtain voice and choice and greater understanding. For us on this day in the story where we were on the precipice of whether Archer might not make it if he remained at Atlanticare, talking with those who were out of options for him and talking with others outside the hospital to see if he could make it if we found the right place equipped to care for his spinal cord injury. His consent and buy-in was critical. Whether Archer would buy into hard work away from friends, far away from home, and if his body would even allow that, to be able to breathe on his own was all unknown. It was really a twofold question of consent and Billy and I knew we had to address both with Archer. Of course, what was also in the limbs was whether or not another facility who had the acumen to help Archer would even accept him. And even if they did, Yes, we still needed that consent. You might say we really did not, since he was a minor, but we believed we did. And I'll tell you why, beyond just buy-in. I think it's part of the healing path that wherever we are, we feel we have made the best decisions we could 
for ourselves at that time. We wanted that for Archer, even if he too might have felt he was just being carried and that that was the best he could do. We really still don't have an answer to that. But I hope you might consider the times in your life when a child might need a surgery or other major decision is being made for a child and that you take the time to explain to the child and provide an opportunity for the child to ask questions and to be discerning. Yes, children can be so wise. We can honor the child's concerns and fears and uncertainties. And we can honor their trust and find ways to address those fears and live into their trust. Often, it's just a question of asking, what would you like to see? It's a great question to ask for obtaining consent. You can learn a lot in the response. Try it with your elderly parents. And it's the same for you too. Ask your grown children or your spouse or anyone to whom you have given a limited medical power of attorney as the case of an emergency or inability to make your own decisions to make sure that whatever is being consented to on your behalf is explained to you in whatever condition you are in and that you are asked what would you like to see? It could be you are consenting to something your loved one doesn't want. And if your loved one is too compromised or too young or too under narcotics to respond, remember, the body knows the score, right? Yeah. You might want to go back to season one, episodes 22 and 23. There is cellular memory of familiar voices that surround a person who is traumatized and explaining and talking to them, perhaps with a loving hand on theirs, even when they are in a very weakened state, is valuable and is heard in a way you may never know, but it is. We, the caregivers and lovers of the patient, can breathe life into the ethical standard of informed consent by lifting up patient autonomy and patient integrity in many ways that are not traditional ways or normative ways the ways hospitals might do things now, but ways that we know matter to a human being. Anytime any of us feels even a slight shift of clarity or personal strength, empowerment, we get closer to the feeling that we are whole and restored again. Mm -hmm. This 
is valuable for the long road of trauma healing. We can help our loved ones, and those in the medical profession can help the patients under their care with trauma healing by our simple act of taking the time to explain clearly and gently and in conversation what is being presented or asked regarding the next step in medical care and providing a forum for questions and dialogue and discernment from the place of compassionate neutral. Wouldn't any surgeon want their patient to have understood what is happening? Real dialogue and time needed for discernment is worth every moment, even if the time is pressing. This time for quality discernment is an aspect I would advocate adding to the many ways for a medical practitioner to practice more holistically and relationally, and perhaps even more from the perspective of risk management. Well, I am grateful, and I give an acknowledgement to those in the medical profession already doing this. It is good for the patient and their family, and it is good for the doctor. And it's good for greater well-being on the planet. As we close, I thought I would share with you one more aspect of voice and consent for you to consider. It might be a little out there for some of you, but that's okay. (laughs) You already know. I think pretty widely, and I might be a little out there on occasion. Thank you for listening. Okay, here it is. Even when it seems a patient cannot give consent, you may now think of other ways than the traditional, quote, sign your name here approach. (laughs) I mean, even in medieval times, people did not always sign their name, right? They had their signet rings and wax seals and even blood. But I want to talk about today, your life and mine. There are other ways to think of obtaining a clear and informed yes or no from your loved one when it comes to obtaining consent from a person who is not fully capable of speaking and exercising their voice. We all carry an energy field around our bodies. This energy field is connected to a larger energy field of healing when we focus and place our attention on that field and ask for the highest and best good to surround our decision-making. I found that an understanding of energy and spiritual forces carried Archer and me through a number of decision moments. You might consider that too. There are even crystals 
and natural objects that can create a higher vibration for good decision-making. And they were part of our healing sanctuary in Archer's hospital room. Yellow Jasper, Jade, and Obsidian were nearby in our room. And I kept taped to Archer's hospital bed a miraculous merry metal and a small clear quartz. Oh yes, the voice of yes or no is so beautiful when it is clear and a firm yes on consent can be so healing. You will know it in your own body when the decision is made, if it is the right decision. Just tune inward and ask your body to show you your own wisdom, which is there and has been there all along. And of course, ask God's minions and angels and your favorite saint to be with you to help you with that discernment process. You are never alone. Your energy field and your life force that is given to you by the divine source will lead you if you ask for guidance from all good and healing sources. We cannot control or know the outcomes of our lives but we do have free will. We can choose to believe what is possible and we can choose to understand our choices every step along the way. I hope you will foster empowerment in your conversations with loved ones about their informed consent to medical procedures. It does smooth the pathway for less trauma to metabolize later. <laughs> and that is comforting. Just like hot cocoa. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything, obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 2, Episode 18, Hot Cocoa. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends. Together, we are Raising the Vibration for Healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has offered trainings and workshops on conflict transformation, mediation, relational leadership, and the Enneagram since 1993.
For more information on our course offerings, visit www.baltimoremediation.com.